Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. So we'll be reading today through Luke 19, 28 to 40. So Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 40. So please, can we stand for the reading of the Word of God? A leitura da Palavra de Deus. So the word says, E dito isto, prosseguia Jesus subindo para Jerusalém. Ora, aconteceu que ao aproximar-se de Betesé e Betânia, junto ao Monte das Oliveiras, enviou dois dos seus discípulos, dizendo-lhe, Ide à aldeia, fronteira, e ali, ao entrades, achareis preso um jumentinho, que jamais homem algum montou, soltai e o trazei-lo, verse 31, se alguém vos perguntar, por que soltais, respondei assim, porque o Senhor precisa dele, e indo, os que foram mandados, acharam, segundo lhes dissera Jesus, quando eles estavam soltando o jumentinho, seus donos lhe disseram, por que o soltais, responderam, porque o Senhor precisa dele, então o trouxeram e, pondo as suas vestes sobre ele, ajudaram Jesus a montar. 36. Indo ele, estendiam no caminho as suas vestes, e quando se aproximava da descida dos Montes das Oliveiras, toda a multidão dos discípulos passou, jubilosa, a louvar a Deus em alta voz por todos os milagres que tinham visto, dizendo, bendito é o rei, que vem em nome do Senhor, paz no céu e na glória, nas maiores alturas. Ora, alguns dos fariseus lhe disseram em meio à multidão, Mestre, repreende os teus discípulos. Mas ele lhes respondeu, asseguro vós que, se se calarem, as próprias pedras clamarão. This is the word of God, essa é a palavra de Deus. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for, once again, the opportunity to be here together as a family. Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would resonate in our hearts, that we would, we would hear your words, Lord, and that you would change our life as a result of it. So, Lord, uh, eliminate any distraction from us right now. I pray that any, anything that has been brought into this room, Lord, that it would be um, a distraction for people to hear your word, Lord, would just be eliminated and that you would be the focus of everything. And may Jesus be glorified in it all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, now that you've all been speaking in tongues, we're going to... Um, good morning. My name's Kevin. I am lead pastor here at Church at the Well. I'm excited that you're here. If you're new, welcome. Um, we started our Easter series last week, and um, we looked at some of the most famous passages in Scripture. This week obviously begins Holy Week. And if you don't know what a Holy Week is, Holy Week is basically this journey that Jesus is taking in this final week to head to the cross and ultimately the resurrection, which we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday. Um, for those of you who have been doing joyful surrender, you have one week left. And we all say, amen. So um, I'm ready to eat some meat. So that would be great. Um, I just want to encourage you, keep going, stay strong. Um, remember why you're doing it, and then we'll be celebrating um, Easter here soon together. Um, I'm going to be reading the whole passage here, just kind of verse by verse, and breaking it down for you today. 
because um, I'm assuming most of you don't speak Portuguese. So um, we're just going to dive right in. So if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, it begins this way in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. This begins Jesus' journey of Holy Week. And one of the things, and, and Tony mentioned this right before we started singing, um, this journey that Jesus is taking to Jerusalem is an emotional journey. Um, Jesus is on his way to his death. And I think we, we have to re- be reminded of this. He's voluntarily placing himself in the position so that he can be arrested, beaten, crucified, and then three days later risen for us, right? And that has to stay in mind of the context because even though we're going to be celebrating this idea of Jesus um, and the crowd acknowledging who he is in very amazing ways, I mean, just it's overwhelming when you understand what's actually happening here. We need to know what Jesus is walking toward. Um, he's not walking right now towards a coronation, right? He's walking towards a death that ultimately will declare him king of kings and lord of lords. I, I think one of the things that I just, the reason I wanted to camp here for just a second is, as I was going through and studying this this week, one of the things that kept hitting me personally was I don't know how willing I would have been able to do something like this. I have a hard time walking into hard conversations, right? Like, when you really think, and we want to make this as personal as we can, that Jesus, the creator of the world, God in the flesh, has the opportunity to do whatever he wants as sovereign God. And in this moment, we see he makes a very intentional decision to say, because he's been saying it the whole time in his ministry, I'm here to do the will of the Father. And I'm going to get on this journey to fulfill that which I've been sent to do. We have to make this personal because he did it for you. Like, one of my prayers this week is that as you experience Holy Week, and I know everybody has a different tradition, everybody wants to do it different, and Christy mentioned we'll be doing something really cool here. If you were here last year, it'll be similar to that. I'm walking through kind of what happened on Friday, and, and you just kind of getting to make that personal so that you understand it, it is personal, it's for you. But my prayer is that this week, all of the events that take place during Holy Week, you would understand are for you. See yourself in that, right? And that's my goal today is, is I, I don't know what everybody's gone through this week. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if, you know, you just showed up here because somebody offered you lunch afterwards, which is an awesome reason to come. Um, or if you're just like seeking and you're saying, man, I, I'm trying to figure this Jesus thing out. I mean, I don't know, right? But what I do know and can promise you is that if you will let him, he will make a relationship with you personal. My prayer is that this becomes your story. Like it's, it's Jesus heading to Jerusalem, but 
Ultimately, what we have to say is it's my Jesus heading to Jerusalem, right? And we'll get into the little party here and the cool stuff that's happening so that it helps us understand who it is that's advocating for you. Jesus, he's, if you picture, I know I'm, I'm visual, I say this all the time, I picture the movie version, so Jesus has been eyeing Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. He, he, he knows how the week's gonna go and he knows how it's gonna end and the people that are with him don't really know that. He's told them, but like all of us, we don't typically listen, right? And so he, he eyes Jerusalem and he says, okay, this is the beginning of the end of the beginning. It says in verse 29, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, into, <clears throat> saying go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So there's this plan, this really odd plan of Jesus pulling his disciples aside and saying, hey, I've never asked for this before. I know this is kind of weird, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk down the street and there's going to be this like area and you're going to find this donkey and it's going to be tied up and you're going to go take this and bring it to me. And when the person asks, like, why are you taking it? You just say, the Lord needs it, right? Which always works, <laughs> right? Like, why are you, the Lord needs it. Why are you stealing my car? The Lord needs it. Oh, well then great, go, right? It's an interesting idea that this is the assignment that they've been given. And it's weird. Like there's things that go on in scripture like this that you go, what is this about? Like wh why is, why of all the things that could be written about Jesus, does it really matter that Jesus sent them to go get a donkey. Like, why couldn't it just pick up as Jesus was riding a donkey? But there's significance here. Tony mentioned a little bit of that significance is right, once again, right before we started singing, but there's so much significance in what Jesus is about to do. And the first one comes in fulfilling a prophecy. Right? You know, I, 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 I try to help you understand that when we're preaching through the Old Testament, the whole point of the Old Testament is to push us to look at Jesus. If you are reading the Old Testament and you're not seeing Jesus, you're misinterpreting, right? It's always about Jesus. He's always been the plan. And so when we look at things in the Old Testament and we're looking for Jesus, we find these very specific prophecies that explain who the Messiah is and what he's going to do, and some of them get really detailed. And it's fascinating that Jesus, knowing who he is and knowing what he's about to do, there's this prophecy that's fulfilled. And this prophecy is found in Zechariah chapter 9. I'm just going to read it to you so you don't necessarily have to turn there. But it says this in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is very specific, right? Zechariah is very specific in what he's receiving from the Holy Spirit to say when the Messiah comes, here's one of the things that's going to help you identify him. He's going to be coming in not on a horse, 
not in a car, not in a vet, whatever it is, right? He's going to be coming in on a donkey, and that in of itself is odd. It describes him as being righteous, meaning he's perfect. There's nothing wrong with him. He's not done anything wrong. We know this about Jesus. He, he has to be the perfect sacrifice. He's righteous, but he's also humble. That in itself is unique. I mean, I know that in Scripture, if you've grown up in church world, one of the things you're told a lot is, hey, we need to be humble, we need to be humble, we need to be humble, and you go, okay, this is something that's difficult to do. There's, there's a lot of pride in us as human beings, right? We want to do everything our way, we want it to always go our way, we want it to be on our time. Part of humility is submitting to who God is and what he does. But I never think, often at least, about God being humble. The reason that we're called to be humble is we're made in his image and he's humble. That Jesus is, or the Messiah at this point, is described as coming in to this circumstance righteous and humble. There's not this pride that's there. It's it's so symbolic of what Jesus is getting ready to do. And we're going to contrast this here soon because when you think historically, you know, the, the donkey itself, which is one of my favorite animals, I don't know if you guys know this, but every time we go to like a zoo, I'm like, where's the donkey? And I don't know why, but there's something about a donkey's face that when it looks at you, you're like, oh. <laughs> right? There's like kind eyes in donkey. I don't know. If you've never done this, then you go try it, and then you're going to be like, Kevin's just weird. <laughs> but there's something about a donkey, right? And, and I, they're just, they're, they're simple, right? They're not, there's nothing really like overwhelmingly beautiful about a donkey. They're, they tend to be kind of lower to the ground. You know, when you're riding a donkey, especially like if you're tall like me, your feet almost hit the ground, right? It's, you almost have to lift your legs up, and it's like, why am I even on this thing, right? I remember there was a movie way back when with Mel Gibson called Maverick, and I don't know if you ever saw it as a western, and um, he lost his horse and ends up on a donkey, and they has this picture of him where his feet are like dragging in the stirrups, right, as he's walking, and it's not very dignified, right? It's just not. Uh, back in these times, and I think we can relate, the donkey was considered like the lowest form of transportation, right? Like this was like the pinto, (laughs) right? The donkey was for the individuals who couldn't afford the horse. And the king of the universe has declared all the way back to Zechariah that the king of the universe is going to come into this city, Zion, on a donkey, right? And there's a lot of images that would have been brought up in the minds of individuals. It's like, wait, what? royalty doesn't sit on donkeys. Perfection doesn't sit on a donkey, It doesn't seem to match the the 
the visualization of, of portraying who Jesus is in all of his majesty and glory, yet it does. Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem the last time before he's crucified on the most humble of animals. And as Zachariah said, righteous, humble, coming in. And it's hard not to be reminded that that's how Jesus comes in to everyone. Jesus doesn't, he's not going to force you. He's not going to throw lightning bolts at you. He literally says, I'm righteous, I'm humble, I'm the king of the universe, and I'm inviting you to know me personally. You know, it, it, oftentimes it goes against what flies in the face of how people view Christ followers and the church, and that's mainly our fault. Because as we're supposed to represent Jesus well, I don't know that we often say, my life is an attempt to live in righteousness to reflect Jesus, and my attitude is that of humility. And so we get this mixed message of who Jesus might be. Because we look at the church and we look at what goes on and we look at our own failures and we think, that can't be right. But for everyone in here who has accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord through faith and faith alone, you know that Jesus met you where you were. Wherever you were. He didn't say, I'm king, fix yourself, clean yourself up, make yourself righteous so that you are worthy of calling yourself a Christ follower. In fact, this is what he says, you can't. You don't have the ability yet. So I'm not even, there's no expectation there. The expectation is that you will be reminded of me coming into the city of the people that I created on the path to die for you in all humility, and I'm asking you to walk that path with me. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture. And it goes against everything that we would anticipate, and it even goes against everything that everybody anticipated back then. Even though these prophecies were there, and this is what it said. The anticipation was that Jesus or the Messiah was going to look different when he arrived. Let's keep reading. Verse 36, it says, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So picture, here comes Jesus and he's coming down the mountain, right? And he's on this donkey of this picture of righteousness and humility. 
and people who have been following Jesus, people who have heard of Jesus, people who have seen what Jesus has done, have no ability whatsoever except to say, this is remarkable. This is unusual. This is so important. We, we may not grasp the picture. We don't even really know what he's coming here to do, but there's something significant here. And they begin to take their cloaks off and lay them down as a sign of submission. Declaring that the individual who's walking down this road, riding on a donkey, is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, victorious. They're claiming that he's the Messiah without them even realizing that they're doing it. I have found that it's, it's, it's fascinating when you know, God has written this these passages and he has these prophecies in here and so much of them are fulfilled in Jesus and some are to be fulfilled by him in the future. But it seems to be the world that is so denying of God that seems to be the ones that fulfill the prophecies the most. Right? I mean, that's how sovereign God is. I always get fascinated in times of Easter and Christmas where it's like even people who don't believe come to celebrate something that they don't fully understand just because God is sovereign. The whole world celebrates. How does that happen? You have this, this parade, right? It, it's, inter- it's so fascinating because Jesus knows what he's coming to Jerusalem to do. And he's being celebrated. It's not a time of mourning. It's not a time of weeping. It will be for Jesus. We're going to read that here in a second. But for the crowd, they're overwhelmed by what they've seen and heard. They're overwhelmed by the display of righteousness and humility that's before them. And one of the things that's happening here from a political and cultural standpoint is it's going exactly against what has just happened in their comparison to how Rome is ruling them as a people. And it's fascinating. So let me, let me give you some historical context. Rome is in control. Right? We know that. If you, if you don't know history, you've heard of the Roman government. Right? I mean, maybe you've seen movies like Gladiator, and these things, and the power of Rome, and, and all that they did to kind of, you know, built roads, and the Pax Romana, I mean, all this stuff, right, that Rome is known for. But one of the other things that they were known for is their power and their brutality. Like, if Roman soldiers knew how to do anything, it was how to kill with absolute, the, the greatest brutality possible. They knew how to inflict pain. And when somebody knows how to inflict pain, oftentimes there's this pride that wells up in them where they want to intimidate and and cause fear even just by the sight of them. And Rome was so good at this. So if you can picture, you know, there's, we know that Holy Week's beginning, but for them it's something different, right? There's this big celebration that's going to be happening because the, the Jewish festivals are coming and this Passover time and, it, and everybody's flooding into Jerusalem, right? And Rome is going, whoa, there's a lot of people coming for this event. We need to up our security. We need to make sure that as this rabble gets together to celebrate something that we don't understand, that they don't get out of hand. 
And so what does Rome do? I mean, you can read the history books. It's, you picture Jesus coming in this way and Rome coming in this way, and there's these two different pictures that are completely antithetical to each other. Rome's coming in with this understanding of how to intimidate and put the fear of Rome into people. Their parade looks much different. It looks like men, soldiers on horses with huge hats, lots of shiny metal, horses wearing armor, feathers in their hat, probably musicians and trumpets and drums playing whatever their war music was. And it would have been expected that people would have shown up to give Rome their homage. And as Rome marches in with shields and swords and and force and might, and people would have been scared to go, oh, let's not upset Rome. They're so powerful. This human emperor who has been given temporal leadership over a country is exercising his authority to put fear into people at the same time that the creator of the world is entering the city in a different gate on a donkey. Do you see it? Like you gotta see the picture or it doesn't make sense. If you went to both parades, you would have experienced completely different emotions. Nobody was throwing their cloaks down for Rome. Nobody was laying palm branches down. Nobody was singing Hosanna. Nobody was declaring, oh, Rome is the light of the world. They were, you would have gone to the parade in awe of its might and with a heart of fear. And then, all right, kids, we're going to go to the next parade. And off we go. And here comes one man on a donkey. Scripture says Jesus wasn't much to look at. In righteousness and humility, coming down the mountain, and the people are going crazy. Coats on the ground. Palm branches on the ground. Declaring something amazing. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you look at any of the other gospels, you'll you'll see that it, it says Hosanna. We just sang that, right? Hosanna for us has become this just proclamation of excitement and praise, right? Like we sang Hosanna in the highest. And if you take Hosanna to its original, like what it originally means, that wouldn't even make sense. But for, for us, as the etymology of Hosanna and, and words change, Hosanna just means for us, praise God and glory to God. And, but when these individuals were on the road and putting down their cloaks and they're yelling Hosanna, do you know what they're actually saying? Pray, please save us. I mean, you look at the original Greek and Hebrew of this word, that's what it means. They're, they're literally asking this individual who was walking down the road on a donkey to save them. Save us. Now, I don't know what their motivation behind this is. We know that God's sovereign. We know that Jesus is getting some of the the worship that he's owed. But I would imagine that as they're saying Hosanna and more people are coming in and it's getting louder, some of them maybe have just come from the parade of Rome and they're going, save us from the tyranny that we're under. 
is this the king? It's not what we expected. We would have expected that you came in on a, something a little bit bigger and larger and a, maybe a little bit bigger army. And I don't know about this, but since everybody else is kind of joining in, like if this is the person that's supposed to save us, save us. And many of them had probably political ambitions. Are you coming in now to overthrow Rome? Because, you know, we, we long for those days that we read about under like King David and Solomon where, where Jerusalem was the, the light of the world. We're, we're being oppressed. This hurts. This is hard. Save us. They're declaring truth. Jesus, in righteousness and humility, is coming to a city to save all who would believe. To bring about redemption to the Creator. But what they're really asking for is something different. Help us in our understanding attain that which we most desire as human beings. Put us back on the map. We know that Many of Jesus' apostles expected this. You know, some believe that this was Judas' motivation for actually betraying Jesus, to force him into you know, a military coup, if you will. The expectations are high. From a world perspective, and we look at, if we just kind of backed up and we're looking at these parades and we're looking what's happening, we've got a human king and a spiritual king coming together in this huge clash. Scripture isn't just supposed to provide us amazing stories and help us understand who Jesus is. We're supposed to also make it personal. And, and I think there's this really interesting dynamic of what's going on as Jesus and Rome enter and we compare that to our lives. Right? We have expectations. Sometimes even as Christ followers, we'll say, well, God, this is how you should act. This is what you should do. This is what I'm expecting you to do. And I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't do it my way. Right? If I'm, if I'm honest. I, I ha I've had moments like this in my life. I remember when... Christy and I first went into full-time ministry. We worked at a camp for inner-city kids in Washington Heights in Harlem. And, uh, and we had sold everything that we owned and, and businesses and houses and moved there, and we found ourselves in just utter poverty. And I'm like, God, I don't understand. Like, we've given up everything. You're not holding your end of the bargain. I remember dropping my kids off at school one day in New York and, and breaking down in the parking lot angry at God because I go, I don't even know what we're going to eat. But why would you call me into something like this? And my worldview and what God had planned were clashing. Right? And I remember in that moment, in that prayer, the Lord just saying, I'm going to remind you that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Righteous and humble. Willing to give up everything for you. I've got you. But there's some things I need you to go through because right now, you're not humble. 
when we're making demands upon the creator of the world, it's a lack of humility. Right? It's, it's a lack of trust in his sovereignty to say, I know that you know what's best because I think I know what's best. You see the clash? It's, it's real. It's there. I've tried to put myself in the picture of this historical moment and I'm wondering what I would do. Like I hope that I would have been studied and I would have been looking for the Messiah and I would have recognized that Zachariah said this and here comes Jesus and put two and two together and went, oh, I got it. But I don't know. That's probably not what would have been going on. I'm likely, because of who I am, would have gone to both parades. And I would have come home and looked at Christine and went, I don't know what's going on. Like, this is weird. Like, talk about two different parties. The vibes were off. Like, I don't know what to do with this. My emotions are everywhere, right? And I would imagine that's what most people are doing here. It's just a, it's a fascinating mix of what Jesus has decided to do. Let's keep reading. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. We know who the Pharisees are, right? The Pharisees are the religious elite, the ones who probably should have recognized the symbolism of what was going on before anybody else. The studied, the academic the ones who had been studying. I mean, it's fascinating to think, man, it could have been a few days before they were in the book of Zechariah reading it and reading this and saying, oh, we're praying for the Messiah to come, and then two days later they're watching this and they're not making the connection. Right? Why? Because sin clouds our judgment. And so picture this. It's not just people that are at Jesus' parade that are throwing cloaks down on palm branches and saying, Hosanna, save us, we pray, and calling him king and, and righteous and humble. There's the other individuals who are at the same parade, shaking in their boots, nervous. And you know why they're nervous? Because Rome's listening. Jesus Hey, you on the donkey, do you hear what these people are saying? They're calling you king. The king's already here. Do you understand that if this doesn't stop, there's going to be political ramifications? Do you understand that what you're declaring this man to be is actually going against Caesar right now? Do you know what kind of trouble you're putting us in? We've got all this party stuff happening this week. We're we're trying to celebrate this holiday that actually points us to the Messiah, and for some reason, you're declaring this guy's him, and he's not. We know who the king is. They came in on the horses. This guy's coming in on a donkey. So the Pharisees are moving. I see him moving through the crowd and going, Stop it. Shh. Don't mess with Rome. This isn't worth it. There's going to be too much punishment. And Jesus responds, I, I want his response to blow your mind. The only way it's going to do that is if you can picture what I just said. Because it, 
I think from the pharisaical standpoint, they're saying to Jesus, hey, if you're really leading, I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on. I've heard about you, whatever, but you wouldn't be putting your people in danger like this. Why are you declaring that and you're accepting what they're saying about you? Like, If you're really that humble coming in on a donkey, maybe you should get off that thing and say, hey, that's not who I am. I'm just an average man walking down the street. I don't know why you guys are all doing this. And instead, Jesus says what? You ready? This is unbelievable. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. Now, I have a weird imagination, so I picture these little rocks, and they're like, woo, Jesus, right? (laughs) But there's some historical context here. We know, like, I've never been to Jerusalem. I'm, I want to go. Everybody goes. I don't ever get to go. I'm just saying. <laughs> but I've, I've, been, I've seen pictures. Okay? And when you're coming from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, there's a point where on certain roads you cross and there's like gravestones. It's possible that Jesus is going, the dead will, or dead will praise. Now, we know that when Jesus dies, some creepy stuff starts happening, right? And one of the things is people start popping out of the grave. I'm wondering if it's those people. It makes me wonder, like, was this a prediction by Jesus to go, just wait? You think you can shut me, these people up? What are you going to do when those people stop popping out of the ground? Right? But however you want to picture it, the, the claim that Jesus makes here is unbelievable. To say, listen, You can do whatever you want to try to shut these people down, but the creation that I made is going to declare who I am regardless of what you say. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what the church is supposed to do? I... I mean, we live, in a, we live in a difficult place. It's got a lot of belief systems, and it's tough. And I think I've mentioned several times American Christianity has done a complete disservice to help people understand who Christ followers actually are. I get in a lot of trouble sometimes when I go down south and I preach, and I go, you guys are killing us. You guys are killing us. People are associating your church with some kind of political movement instead of Jesus, and that's wrong. Repent. If your church is known more for what you believe politically instead of Jesus, then there's a major sin issue. But in spite of that, the church of Jesus is not supposed to be silenced. You, as Christ followers, as the body of Jesus, are given a commission by Jesus to do what rocks can do. And if you don't, the rocks will. I think there's, one of the things I was processing through is all the places in Scripture where the Lord chose to use donkeys. Right? Because oftentimes when pride wells up, I'm like, you guys know the story of Balaam and the donkey? If you don't, read it. Right? I mean, I won't curse because there's kids in here, but there's a, a, a donkey, a donkey, also known as something else, right, was used by God to speak truth. 
if he can use that thing. I mean, sometimes I sit back and I'm like, why am I not willing to do this? Am I being bold enough? The rocks will cry out, the donkeys will speak. We, as Christ followers, as the church, have been given a privilege to express who Jesus is in a world that is lost and hurting and needs help. They need to understand the righteousness and humility of Jesus' invitation to bring them back to who their creator is. And oftentimes we get so wrapped up in things like politics and who said what, and the church starts backbiting and fighting amongst itself, and the world just sits back and goes, I have no idea what's going on with these people. But Jesus won't be denied because the rocks will cry out. We have stories in Scripture of people like Elijah who are amazing, right? And then did this amazing work for the Lord and kills all these prophets of Baal. And then you realize that he starts running from this woman and he gets to this cave and he starts complaining to the Lord that he's the only one left. And God's like, all right, you're done. The rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out to declare who Jesus is. I think when individuals heard that, there's going to be several responses in the crowd. The first was going to be the Pharisees. They go, (gasps) do you hear what he just, I mean, I don't know. They might not even know, like, well, I don't know why you're making that claim. But here's the thing. You're not denying what these people are saying. That's blasphemy. And the case, the stronger case against Jesus needing to die begins in the moment of this parade. He's not, he's not shutting up the crowd. In fact, he's making a higher claim that if they weren't praising, then the rocks would. Is he really claiming that the dead are going to rise and praise who he is? Blasphemy. There have been others in the city that went, oh, look at him, stick it to the man. Right? He's making this amazing political connection and he's saying, we are not going to bow to Rome and your rule here is over and let's go and where's Braveheart, right? You have others in the crowd who are just looking and sitting back and absorbing everything and going, something remarkable is happening here but I just don't know what it is yet. You have the disciples probably walking near Jesus going, yep, bring on the party. Boys are back in town. Raise the banners. Here we come. If other people who are in the crowd that are scared to death because of the ramifications that Rome could bring upon this parade. There's so many emotions going on in this thing. But the truth is being declared. This is who this man is. This is This is what he's coming to do. He is coming to save you. This cry that you're you're screaming out, Hosanna, is going to be fulfilled. All of what you're asking, all that you're declaring is about to come to fruition. Even if you don't get it, it's coming. And it's coming in the midst of great opposition. It's declaring that Jesus is coming as a spiritual king and not one of force. It's coming to say, 
I'm going to take your place so that you can be reconciled and forgiven and brought back to your Father who created you so that you can have new purpose and new life. That's what this is about. That's why we claim Hosanna. That's why we declare who Jesus is because that's what he did. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it. Every day. I mean, we, we get to see this as the church every day. We watch people. We watch, watch the Lord move people's hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and give them faith and they begin to declare, Lord, I don't know who you are, but Hosanna, save me. And Jesus says, I'm here and I'm entering you humble and I'll take you exactly as you are, but I promise I won't leave you that way. There's more to the story. It's not just about the death. There's something beautiful coming in its new life. We have this radical, radical cultural, political, spiritual battle that's right in this story. And it's still happening. If you wonder who Jesus is, I'm going to read a few passages here. I just, I want you to see what's going on in Jesus' heart as he's coming in and being praised and declaring the rocks will sing. If you keep reading in the passage, you're going to find that in verse 41 it says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, what that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that make for peace. What is he saying? It, not for peace with Rome. Forget that. Peace in your heart. Peace in your soul. Peace with that which created you. If you just grasp it. This city that I love so much is so lost and even now that I'm here, they still don't see and he, Jesus is coming in as people are praising him, declaring the rocks will cry out to declare who he is. Weeping over those who are lost longing for them to understand. That's the Savior. If, if Jesus has been portrayed to you as something different than that, then I, please accept my apology. Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. We know he's coming back and it will look different. But right now, the picture of Jesus as Savior of the world. The individual who cries and weeps over those who don't get it because he knows that there's so much at stake. This is when things get personal because you picture, I, I picture this, I know there, there had to be a moment where Kevin's in this spot. He's, he's just heard this crazy story when he was in fourth grade about some tugboat by a red-headed teacher and somehow she tied that to the gospel and there was something stirring in my heart. I don't even know what the story was. I just remember a tugboat. And Jesus. 
And I remember being asked, like, you have to make the decision of who you're claiming Jesus is. And it's the most important decision you'll ever make. I always tell people when they're getting married, like, who you pick to marry is the, most, the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. First one is who Jesus is. Second one is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Hopefully, right? It's important. And I remember, even as a child, being overwhelmed with the idea that I know I just lied to my parents, but you're telling me that the Savior of the world is still willing to forgive me and save me? I mean, it's so simple. I understood it as a child and so complex that I still am in awe of what he's willing to do. I'm still in awe that he was willing to come to me on a donkey and not on a horse. I'm still in awe that he's still doing that. I'm still in awe that if you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, that he's literally saying, as you're hearing this story, picture me walking towards you on a donkey, not in force, but in love and understanding and patience and peace. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. It's, it's written in a context that explains from the moment you know Jesus to the end of eternity, whatever that is. He goes, I, I've come to give you a life more abundantly. That word abundant, it, it means in peace. With the ability to look at your current circumstances that are around you and put them into perspective because your creator loves you. That's the beginning of Holy Week. We, we begin by watching Jesus humbly come in, shocking us, showing what humanity desires versus God's perspective. Sometimes I think we look at somebody like Jesus and we say, how could somebody who's not really all that attractive and doesn't display their power and willing to go to their own death for someone else, even if we admire that, sometimes we might go, man, that just seems like they're so weak, like take some self-pride. And, and what you realize when you look at this is that the creator of the world is humbling himself to the point of even death on the cross for you, for me. He knows what he's walking to. The question is, where are you walking? Who are you in the story? If you don't know how to answer that question, then I would just say, think about your week. Who are you in the story? As a Christ follower, I can honestly tell you there's moments where I've been the Pharisees, there's moments I've been the doubters, there's moments I've been the one that sat on the sideline and went, is this really how this is supposed to roll? There's moments where I've been disappointed by the way that the Lord's shown up. 
But one of the things that has never changed is my declaration that Jesus is Lord. Because when he comes in, he never leaves. But who are you on the story? If you're waiting for Rome, you're waiting in vain. Because when Jesus, it declares in Scripture that when Jesus comes back and he's in the state of Rome, it's going to be too late. But right now, he says, know me. I'll, I'll approach you on a donkey. I'll approach you with humility. I'll let my sacrifice that was on this cross be your sacrifice. I'll restore you to your creator. I'll give you hope and purpose. I'll bring you back to what you're supposed to be. I won't remove every pain in your life, but I will help you get through it in joy. This is the beginning of Holy Week. It, it beckons questions. What do you believe? How are you living? What will you do with a king who is declared to be king by rocks and creation who approaches you humbly? We're going to use, like we have been, um, give you an opportunity to respond. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, I know that for those of you who are questioning, seeking, trying to figure out who this Jesus is, oftentimes what I have found is your apprehension to understand Christ and really get to know him is the result of the failure of people who claim to know him. And so I'll humbly just tell you, you're in the midst of a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners who struggle, but who also have a Savior, know the Lord, and are, have the ability in us through the power of the Spirit to live lives that are so joy-filled you can't possibly imagine. And here's the thing. It's not worth not asking the questions about Jesus because a few of us have been so misguided. For the church, I would say this. It's, many of you maybe have celebrated Holy Week for many, many years, and what I'm asking of you is maybe it needs to look a little bit different. Maybe it needs to be grounded in some questions. Maybe it needs to be a little bit more personal. Maybe you need to picture where you would be in light of this story. What would you do afterwards? If you declare Jesus as Lord and Savior, I, I think there's a valid question to say in these moments, are you living in the freedom that Jesus has given you and that you declare you have? Are you living in that joy? Or are you continually chaining yourself back to something that he saved you from? I don't know. 
But for the church, we're gonna use this as an opportunity to respond and we have the communion element set up over here. The band will come up and, and, and play and I would say take a moment before life gets crazy here and reflect and ask the questions and respond and be reminded of why we even have the ability to ask the questions through what is represented over there. If you're here and you aren't a believer, I would just encourage you, don't, don't take. There's no shame in it, but I don't want you leaving here with a false hope to think that you did something religious, therefore God's gonna just smile at you. There's no saving value in what's over there. It just represents what Jesus has done for those who have given their lives to him. But if you're needing to respond, I'll invite you to. We'll have a couple of people over here. You can go talk to someone. They'll pray with you. You can ask questions or even better yet, you can turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And they say, yes. Say, can we have a conversation? I have some questions. My ultimate prayer is that this story and the power of the Spirit that's moving would incite you to respond in a way that would draw you closer to Him for His glory and your joy. Don't leave here the same. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, we, as a church body, this little scrappy church in East Boston, we declare that you are God, that you are Lord, that you are King of kings. We know that the rocks would cry out and they continue to even when we fail to. And Lord, that's one of the reasons we praise you. We thank you that your Lordship isn't dependent upon us. It's because of who you are. You will be praised. So Father, I, I ask that we would join as a church in all of creation and declare who you are with great joy. Declaring the freedoms that we've been given in Jesus. And Lord, as we approach the communion table, I just ask that you would remind us what the cost was and that we would live lives that are based on repentance and gratitude and joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done and continues to do. Lord, I pray specifically for anyone in this room right now who has never experienced the love of Christ on a personal level. Lord, I beg you, I beg you to save them. I beg you that this wouldn't just be a story, but it would be their story. So Lord, remove the heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh. Help them to see Holy Week in a completely different way. Allow it to be their story starting now. And Lord, give them the courage and the boldness to ask the questions and respond in a way that would be life-saving. Lord, we love you and we're grateful. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.